Sandra Badalini is an actor, stand-up comedian, and writer. She's also the founder of the Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians, an organization that represents comics in Canada and lobbies for them to be recognized as the brilliant, culturally significant artists that they are. I just wrote an article for The Breach that features Sandra, among other comedians, and looks at some of her efforts to push for fair pay, government recognition from the Canada Council, and organized resistance against the pull of American media imperialism. Her left political perspectives are in many ways written in Cask's DNA. She talks here about how Cask was imagined as a kind of rights movement focused on stressing the right to be included among other communicative arts that we consider culturally more ennobling or important. She insists that we really take a hard look at the system and objectively assess the extent to which it's tilted in favor of already economically massive players. She wants us to ask the material question, how many opportunities are there? And to what extent are performers being sold certain fictions that make them more vulnerable to being exploited? For example, she says that performing just for exposure is basically a big lie. As she puts it, what are you exposing yourself to, if not a market in which there are no standards? Efforts like the ones that Cask organizes, like the hashtag PayComediansViral campaign, work to establish standards of equitable pay and recognition of structural inequality. These campaigns are showing what is possible. Giving comics a bigger piece of the revenue they create, exposing the power of a few players that, Sandra points out, feel like they can corral and control comedians and reckoning with the fear that individual comedians may have, which tends to work against solidarity and take away their power to resist monopolistic control. The main theme here is probably autonomy. Sandra has this sense that building, quote, our own stuff here means that you're generating the spirit to move forward. I appreciated all of the detail she gave on the struggle to gain official recognition and government funding. Ultimately, she says that she's not interested in having a theoretical argument about whether comedy is art. The question for her is, shouldn't it be supported? For me, the answer to that question is definitely yes, because I agree with Badalini that comedy is more everyday, more accessible as an art form than most. This is such a central part of its power. Humor makes people more open to having difficult conversations. It's non-elitist, in Sandra's words, and so it often allows for a more lively form of connection to occur. I love the point she made here about how comedy is also way more immediate than many art forms. It's happening every night and expresses in real time what it means to live in a particular place. That immediacy is a huge part of its appeal, its relevance, and a reason it should be better supported by the public. So yeah, I mean, the, the first question I wanted to ask you is, is sort of a broad one in a way. It's about sort of your almost philosophical, maybe even like, I don't know, political, spiritual relationship to comedy. Like in your open letter from, I think, 2016, uh, Just a Little Reciprocity, um, you write that telling jokes is integral to life, uh, <laughs> which is like a big you know, a big swing in some sense when it comes to comedy, but like, this is what you're in some ways about is taking these big swings at claiming a place for comedy as a form of art and all that stuff. Um, you, you talk in that piece about how comedy is this immediate thing. It's, it's devoted to kind of releasing us from tension. So I'm really interested in that. Mm -hmm. What is your specific kind of take on 
the place of comedy in sort of everyday life, I guess. I mean, you know, if you, if you just see the way that people interact, like all your relationships with, you know, you're probably your best ones are the ones that like, you know, you can really laugh with those people. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, a sign of, you know, being comfortable, uh, not taking yourself so seriously. Um, you know, mm. I think that like, especially when you think of your family, like I think, you know, my family, the, the, you know, craziest times we had, we've had is like when we really laugh, like at each other, you know, and mm. I just think that it's something that we've been doing forever. And now we call it comedy. Now we call it like there's an industry around it, but those are all false. Those are all just like manifestations of ego or or like identity to say, oh, this is comedy. This is something else. It's like, no, it's, it's life. You know, you can always see like with comedy, it's like, there's always that crescendo where, where it goes. So it's so tense. And like, you know, the joke is like, uh, you know, a short circuit in the, of the brain. I was, I was taught this concept um, by Karen Hines. Like I'm also a clown. So I studied, you know, pachinko clown and Buffon. And uh, Karen Hines is, you know, uh, a legendary clown. And so when you look at Buffon, which is the antithesis of clown, the clown is the mirror to the world. The Buffon is the, uh, shows the world the hypocrisy is that it is a comedy is that short circuit in the brain because you don't expect it. You're like, where are we going? And then when you go, then the brain's like, ah! you know, it just, it just explodes because it, it, it can't even believe that it went there. You know, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it could also go the opposite way because if that if that explosion is like maybe you know what the audience might not want to hear or that it hurts, it's still it's still an it's still explosive, and it'll still have a reaction. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously, the best one is when everyone just explodes into laughter. Um, yeah, you know, and and I mean, it releases all sorts of endorphins as we as we know. I guess it was just like at the time that I wrote the letter, which took me you know months and months and months to write it became, it, it was, it was looking at comedy in, in a philosophical way because it was trying to justify why comedy isn't, you know, uh, funded, for example. And I mean, you know, early on when, when, you know, I had written that letter and when we formed cask, you know, people would be like, well, I don't know if com if I don't know if comedy is an art form, it really isn't. And it's like, I don't care what people think, whether it's funded, whether they think it's art or not. It's like, should it be supported just like every other industry is supported, you know? And also, you know, I've had many conversations with the Canada arts council. And at one point they were like, well, um, it was in an article I, I wrote as well, but you know, that they saw comedy as entertainment, much like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sports and strippers. And I was like, wow. And then I said to him, like, I've seen many things that have funded by the Canada arts council and it ain't art, you know? And I mean, obviously, Comedy, stand-up, all of it, sometimes it's art and sometimes, like Kenny Robinson once said, you're just babysitting drunks. So you're responding You're responding to the immediate situation, which is like what clown is. You know, clown is like from what I was taught was that, you know, you can have a whole set plan. You can come out and you have your, your uh, whatever it is that you're going to do. You're going to, I don't know, eat a banana or whatever it is that you're going to do. But you have to be willing to give that all up when you hit the stage because you have to deal with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's really, to me, I don't think clown is separate from comedy at all. It's, it is comedy. It's like, you need to respond. You are responding to what's going on. And that's where sometimes the, 
the most brilliant moments come from because it is that interaction with the crowd. And, you know, obviously there would be no comedy if there were no audience. You know, you can't mm-hmm. tell jokes to yourself. I mean, you could, that's how you write them, but you know, you know, it's, it's really that interaction. Yeah. Be pretty narcissistic to just tell jokes to yourself, help you yeah. maybe get through the day to do like bits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there are people who do that, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you know, the, the art of it is the, the, this is why, you know, just a little reciprocity is such an interesting and thoughtful title for that letter uh, because it is re- this reciprocal relationship. And like, I've heard mm-hmm. you talk elsewhere about the sort of transformative uh, experience of taking the Pachinsky uh, or Pachinko. sorry, Pachinko, Pachinko clown uh, kind of training seminar. Like it was like five or six weeks or something. Yeah. And how like it really kind of freed you up to write and create like that idea of kind of following your impulses, like mm-hmm. making room for your impulses and all that stuff. Like, I think that's, Really interesting, especially when you like, like, and there's so much in what you just said that I, I want to talk about and come back to. But for a second, I guess I want to ask you about like this idea of false frames and like ego and identity and how clown kind of maybe moves you away from that to some extent. Cause it seems like, especially in this like gig economy where everybody's supposed to be an entrepreneur and hustle in comedy, especially maybe more so than in other arts what you're commodifying is really your voice, your unique persona. You know, do you think that in some ways that is like, it goes against this idea of like making room for your impulses, trying to grow as a comedian? Like, is there, is there too much pressure basically on the cultivation of that like individual commodifiable like identity when it comes to becoming a comedian right now, especially? Yeah. You know, I, the, we we had created. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Cass created uh, CanCom, which is the foundation for Canadian comedy, and it's a foundation devoted to raising money to disperse to comedians. It was modeled after um, Factor, the Factor grant, so the music grant, mm-hmm. because there is, you know, early on when we were advocating, you know, I always believed. I'm like, look, at some point the Canada Council will you know, either acknowledge or allow more comedy to be funded. But aside from that, we need something that's just devoted to comedy. Um, because, you know, as, as you, as you're aware, the, the, the story of music is very similar and, and was very inspiring to um, our trajectory, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyhow, uh, at one point, maybe, I think it was two years ago, we had completed um, uh, an economic like a survey because every time we'd go to the government and ask them, you know, when can we get funded? They're like, listen, uh, you know, we believe that there's, we believe, we know that comedy is such a force in this country, but we need to know the economic impact. You know, we need to know what it means to the economy. And this is, this is the way that, for example, the department of finance and, and the Canada council for the arts can have, can be justified in saying, well, we're going to devote this amount of money to comedy because this is how it, how it impacts the economy. So anyways, yeah. the, um, there was an organization that got funding, ironically, a grant to study the economic impact of comedy in Ontario. And mm-hmm. when I was being interviewed, the woman asked me, she's like, well, aren't you excited? Like with social media and like how that, how that can really impact, you know, com- com- comedians ability to, you know, be discovered or to make money. And I was like, not, no, I'm not, I'm not excited. I mean, I see how it's impacted a lot of comics and what it's doing. It's, 
it's cool in some way, but it still just looks at numbers and, and a formula. It doesn't, it's not, it's not considering the art of it. So, you know, those tools are helpful, just like a phone is helpful, but it's not, it, it's too much based on like how many likes and how many followers. And I mean, totally. I, and I really believe that all these things are just, you know, it depends how you want to live your life, but a lot of these things just won't even make any sense when we, when, as we move forward in our consciousness, because like, I mean, how much, how much can we keep, um, like commodifying? How much can we keep selling yeah. and counting and consuming? It's over. Like it's done. You know what I, I, know I mean? What mean? Yeah. So and I, I respect that perspective. Like I've heard you, you know, articulate it elsewhere, just like your awareness of the tipping point we're at and the level of crisis. Um, and I want to, you know, maybe get to just like a question of how your own politics, your own like education, all that stuff has really fed into your commitment to, to the Canadian Association of Stand-Up Comedians, your vision in some ways. But um, you, you talked about CanCom. It sounds like that's currently like since you stepped down from CASC as, as president, that seems like it's like your main project maybe now I was kind of, well, no, I'm not, I'm not involved. Like I was on the okay. board for, for a while, but like, yeah, no, I'm not involved with CanCom at the moment, but like, yeah, when I okay. took a break, I took a break from all of it. It was like, I, mm -hmm. you know, I devoted five years to all of this and, you know, it was impacting my health, you know, I, I bet, like, you know, it was just like, that's sure. why a prime minister or someone only has a four year term because you can't do, mm -hmm. you can't do this kind of stuff, uh, you know, that yeah. long. And also, you know, especially it's like volunteer based a lot of yeah, it, right? Like it's all not, of it. Yeah. So it's like the prime minister gets paid, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or, or those people get paid to do their job, but, and, and, or, and even people who devote their lives to like at certain advocacy and certain organizations, they are getting paid even, even, even though it's very taxing, you know, they're getting paid, but this was like, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. I don't regret, honestly, a, a moment of it. And I, the one part of um, the advocacy that I've, you know, kept going, although it's very sporadic because we were going to be going to Europe with the uh, Department of Heritage for the Creative Industries Trade Mission. So one of my big things that I, you know, was really promoting and advocating for was just like, let's forget about the United States. Like, you know, mm -hmm. if you want to go there and, and do your thing, of course, like it's, it's obviously a great market, but like, why don't we focus about, why don't we focus on getting comedians out of the country mm -hmm. and, you know, and telling the story that Canada has this great legacy. And mm -hmm. every time I would pitch this to the department of heritage, you know, and, and anybody at the government, they were just like, Oh, cause I was like, what greater way to export Canadian culture and identity and what cheaper way than through stand up comedy. Um, and you know, they were all very, in, they, they were all very interested by this notion. So, um, that's the one thing like, you know, what, I don't know when that mission is going to happen because it got canceled so many times for obvious reasons, but, um, mm -hmm. yeah, anyways, that's the one yeah. part of the, of the advocacy that, and, and also we're trying to get some, um, some stuff happening with the city of Toronto that, although, you know, we had some initial meetings with them. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of it right now. I mean, that's not that I wouldn't get back to it. It's just like, you know, it was such a big thing that I was like, I, I gotta take it easy. 
Yeah. And I mean, like you're doing it at a time where there's this unprecedented pandemic and there's like a greater sense of urgency uh, than at other times to keep, especially, you know, performers, the artistic community in general was hit really hard by the pandemic. Um, And I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, like, you know, uh, you, you mentioned social media and how you're just not sold on the opportunities that it produces. I mean, there's all kinds of added labor with added unpaid labor with social media. And yet it's this mandatory thing, like to maintain your public profile, you have to do it. For some people, I think it's pleasurable. Like they just, they just come to it naturally. You look at somebody like Steph Tolev, who has made it pretty big in the States. Mm -hmm. Um, She's very good at managing um, her social media accounts. It's clearly not really an onerous thing for her, but even she complains on, on her podcast and elsewhere, but like, how she has to do that all on her own. There's really no team around you. Yeah. I think she just like, she's just, you know, she's a beast, you know, so she does it. I'm sure, I'm sure she, yeah, I'm sure she's just like, fuck, I wish I, somebody else could do this for me, but you know, she's Mm -hmm. so focused and, and does it. And it's amazing. Like, honestly, like I just started, uh, posting like clips of my sets online because everybody would always say, you know, like post mm-hmm. on Instagram because you, you improvise a lot. And I, I've, I, it's not like I don't want to create content for the internet. That's ridiculous. But mm-hmm. like what I find most pleasurable and I, because I haven't figured out though, really what I could put on Instagram, you know, I just mm-hmm. haven't, it just hasn't come to me or that I, I've been inspired, like moved to do it in, you know, yet, but you know, the, the things that I really, you know, that bring me a lot of joy and just, I guess a lot of peace too, is like writing because I like to, you know, write concepts for TV and mm-hmm. they just come to me. And then I just, that's what I spend my time writing and do, reading and writing scripts. And so I really, really like that. Um, and uh, yeah, but like, you know, there's a certain way, like there, you know, you look at Nima Nazari, like he's, he's killing it because like, and he's just so talented. Like, it's amazing what he's, doing online um and it's funny as hell you know but it's like he's mm-hmm. got a, a machine going now and it's yeah and it's great and it's but again you know you, you just look at it's such it's it, again it's consuming this content you're just you're just scrolling between you know a character you you get advertised for uh you know a cream for saggy skin and you know and uh <laughs> And some, and, you know, conspiracies and, you know, politics and all this shit. It's, it's a really, it's like, I, I sometimes look at Instagram and it's like, I, I have to, I can't look at it because it actually hurts me. It bothers me. It, like, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, we've, we've now reached a point where it's been revealed by the Francis Hogan leaks and all of these studies that it it's generally bad for people's like self-esteem on some level. I'm, I'm you know, I think like, that's the funny thing about like uh, counting followers is that um, we imagine social media as this meritocracy when really it's no. it's governed by uh, these massive companies and there's this the, this unclear algorithm that really drives it and so you you experience not achieving a following as like a personal failure when really it's a structural problem and you're also like really insightful I think you know I've I've noticed you 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 really hit the nail on the head in terms of like identifying the problem with the structure and not like individuals like over and over again you say like um and and monty scott is good on this too he talks about like how comedians are the are sort of a lone wolf vagabond type and tend to not get together uh but you you talk about how like that if there's toxicity it's really largely bred by uh, a 
what Janelle Niles called like a cutthroat culture where there aren't that many opportunities. It's not like individuals, right? And I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, I, you know, this might sound ridiculous, but a lot of what inspired me too, when I started, this was just like looking at, you know, it was, it's a rights movement. So like looking at civil rights movements, you know, in certain countries, especially the United States, like you see how, for example, you know, here's a group of people that kept getting told they were, they were no good. They were inferior. They were lower than, and they were like, okay, uh, I don't think so. You know? And they, and they didn't, and they persisted and persisted and persisted and, and, and had to claim their own value. And that's Canadian comedians. You know, I mean, I, I, please, I, I couldn't, I'm not comparing, I'm not comparing, um, the experience. Yeah. It's not a one-to-one thing. Yeah. But, but it, it is a rights movement because it's the right to, it's the right to be, um, included. Uh, it's, it's to be acknowledged and, you know, and when you look at, yeah, it's like, you know, I was talking with a friend about all this and he sort of sees, you know, he's like, come on, you can't keep saying that it's because it's Canada that you can't, um, you know, uh, get ahead or whatever. I go, but you look at the system, you know, and if the networks are mostly buying American content and not creating content, which is what their mandates are, then what opportunities, how many opportunities are there? to you know move beyond well i'm a comic i'm touring the country if nobody's seeing you on tv then what are they watching they're watching american content they're watching american comics Mm -hmm. and like um yeah it's and you know a lot of people will go back it's like okay once you build your online like you know how letter kenny did and Mm -hmm. you know comics like nima because nima is here you know steph went to the states so she's doing her thing and it's it's amazing but she did go to the u.s so that's you know she's in a different market but when you look at, you know, these success stories in Canada, um, Letter Kenny was like, well, let's just create our own stuff. And, 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 and that's really like, that's what I see. It's like, we just got to create our own stuff and, yeah. and be open to the universe to receive them. And I know that sounds crazy, but, you know, but at the same time, um, that's kind of like the spirit that you need to have to move forward because like, otherwise, like, what are we doing in this country? I mean, it's, sure. it's really kind of grotesque. Yeah. And I mean, it's so the case that there aren't the resources there. Like all of my research has been kind of pointing to that, that, you know, like, for example, CBC Gem might be, you know, the more the most sort of, you know, diverse and interesting platform, but it represents a tiny fraction of CBC's even like total budget, which isn't that much. Right. It, it really can't compete with the Netflix and, uh, you know, Crave and, and, and show me like these things are not going to compete with no. major streamers. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if the structure existed, um, then you would have this greater, uh, uh, you know, cr- you know, a greater capacity to produce content. And there would just be this kind of, I think, snowball effect. But what you're talking about in terms of um, the comparison with the civil rights movement, honestly, to me is interesting, because really, that's about like, being recognized for your humanity, basically, in that case. But here, you're talking about being recognized for your artistry and your hustle and like how that validation and recognition can lead to a bigger sort of flourishing. And I think like that has something to do with the, you know, the changing demographics of the audiences for comedy. Like one of the things you say in um, your, your open letter to Trudeau, which he never responded to is that there's never been more comedy being performed than right now. There's this huge demand for it. And I think like, you know, in, in Canada and elsewhere, there's this, maybe, you know, new 
sense that comedy is is um a medium for like political communication too that you know especially Absolutely. you know like that there's a way that um you know and it's not the case everywhere and there's all kinds of different comedy but um do you get the sense now that like there's a greater hunger among audiences for experiences of like because like a lot of audiences don't necessarily have the opportunity to like um and there's no real public sphere anymore, right? Like academic political spaces have sort of themselves eroded. And it feels to me like that scene of, you know, uh, going to a comedy show and laughing and even, you know, talking back, there's that reciprocity in the context of a show, mm -hmm. um, that it gives you an opportunity maybe to think critically about things like inequality, injustice, social norms, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, is it is it the comedy is a little less preachy than those sort of more stuffy spaces of academia and politics? Yeah, and there's like, yeah, and it's definitely. I mean, the fact that there's alcohol, <laughs> you know. Right. I mean, it, you know, it loosens you up. It's nighttime, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, definitely. I think that those are those kinds of institutions are elitist, you know. Yeah. Whereas comedy is not. Comedy is like it's for the people. It's like the it's speaking the vernacular, you know. It's like when Dante right. wrote the Divine Comedy in the vernacular and didn't use the Latin. It was a revolution because all of a sudden now he's using the Florentine dialect to 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 diss everybody, everybody put putting popes in hell. Uh, you know, putting putting all the people that that are, you know, criminals and you know in their place, and you know he was he was uh, he was um, um, they banished him. You know, so it's right. like you take the you take the language of the people and you speak the language. You know, then all of a sudden there's a there's a connection. It's like it's just like yeah, it's like the same when you know my my parents are from a certain part of Italy. It's like when you speak the dialect. It's it's funnier. Like there's so much more there's so much more For ridiculousness sure. in the vernacular conversation that happens with people, you know. And somehow, you know, like people sometimes think, well, it's stand up comedy, you know, um, maybe it's not as smart as the other as the other arts. Um, but I think that's the that's the that's the genius of it because it doesn't appear that way sometimes mm -hmm. right away you know, because it's so accessible to people like, you know, somebody who's going to go to a comedy club, they might go to the theater for sure, but they, but you know, uh, they might not, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's like, it, it brings theater to a different, a different kind, a different kind of person that wouldn't go like have a subscription to whatever, uh, soul pepper, or any of these organizations, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And that stuff's beautiful too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that theater, like I love the, I love theater, but you know, even when you look at, you know, the irony, for example, that Canada funds works from playwrights that are not even Canadian, like Shakespeare. I mean, there's more money given to Shakespeare and the guy's dead than there are to Canadian voices. Right. You know, that actually, that actually speak about the lived experience of being Canadian as it happens, as comedy is happening every night, multiple times all over the country. It's about those people, those Canadians who are living their lives in their communities, you know, yeah. and that's why it's so powerful. Well, there's there's a book, I think it's called Shakespeare in America. That's like a mm. historical account of how mm. Shakespeare was like vulgar, right? Like plays that were, you know, Shakespearean plays that would tour. They were for the people during, you know, um, yeah. like 16th, 17th century. Like and this idea that today we have like still this this binary between high and low art that comedy is like a lot of people re will reject it outright as like this vulgar art 
And it's, I think, this kind of spontaneous hostility to just the swearing in it or the the raunch of it or whatever. Um, but I think you're right to suggest that there's a way in which like comedy, because it operates in that mode, can kind of Trojan horse politics in in some ways. Um, and I guess I wondered, like, on that note, you know, uh, um, you know, you've performed in a lot of different places in Canada. And and I wonder, like, what are your favorite cities to perform in? You know, you talk about the fact that uh, you you learn from from uh, clown how to kind of modulate what you're doing for the audience. Like, when have you had to do that in Canadian cities? Which ones tend to be maybe the more progressive or inclusive? Uh, which tend to be the more conservative ones? And to what extent do you have to key your comedy to the culture of a place? You know, most of my performing experience has been Ontario, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. and I'm originally from Sudbury, so. Um, you know, obviously I love to perform in Sudbury. Mm-hmm. Um, Guelph, Guelph is like, you know, much more like a uh, socially minded, politically minded uh, place. So, you know, right. and even just in the city too, sometimes in Toronto, it's like you can go to certain venues and know that, well, you know what? I can't, I have to be careful because this is a maybe more woke quote unquote crowd. Mm. Um, you know, I love Hamilton. I love, I love performing in Hamilton. It's my hometown. Oh really? Yeah, like you know Hamilton. Yeah. It's like working class. That's where I come Very from. Very much too. So, so. It's like yeah. so. It's like th- those places like that. I mean Ottawa. I love. I love. Love. Love going to Ottawa. I don't know what it is, but and also because there's such a rich, um, you know, scene there. You know, and I think that mm-hmm. also um, uh, influences too uh, the comfort of performing because when there is a when there is a really rich scene, then you know. Um, people are audiences are much more um, they're, they're trained they're trained in comedy you know mm-hmm. I love the east coast I've I you know I love St. John's St. John's uh, Halifax um, you know I feel like I, I haven't been there in quite some time but like I felt like I could just be who I was out there also and it was cool mm-hmm. um, and um, where else uh, I'm trying to think um and Niagara Falls, Niagara Falls, love Niagara Falls. Oh, oh sure, right. The, yeah, yeah, of course. The kind of yeah, the kind of uh, excitement and the tourism and all that yeah. stuff. A weird cross section of people, probably. Yeah, yeah, um, it's so interesting. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I I got to ask you about the work you've done with Cask. Um, yeah. I do want to also, you know, I want to, I guess, start by asking about these two main objectives that Cask has, according to you know the website mission statement. Number one is um, uh, what you call the cycle of advancement, you know, production, promotion, presentation, broadcast and distribution of comedy content. And maybe this speaks to what CanCom is currently doing to support the creation of Canadian intellectual property for promotion. Um, But then the other one is to promote a harassment free environment, racial, social, economic, physical, mental and gender justice and equality. You know, um, people have written about like um, there's an article in uh, I think the the Walrus uh, recently about how like there's been this push since 2020, especially in the death of George Floyd, for like more diverse performers and stories. Um, but like you know, this article that uh, Soraya Roberts writes in the in the Walrus talks about how like that has mostly been a, a fairly superficial push by major corporations to kind of you know. Um, get their PR in order around seeming like um, they welcome diversity. But at the same time, there is this like opening right now. And I wonder to what extent Cask is sort of looking at this opening and realizing that like 
its membership is really diverse and there is like this potential for uh, more diverse leadership for for you know a greater texture of experience to basically uh, be represented in this supposedly multicultural and and you know certainly very diverse country um, of Canada like to what extent does comedy still need to diverse to diversify and, and and is that like a major part of like the sense of responsibility cask has to its members I guess I mean I think that I want to read that article um, just look at that the, you look at the recent JFL lineup for Toronto. And I mean, it's all white women and the men are all diverse. Mm -hmm. Like are, you know, they're, they're not white. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's just such a, I don't know. It's like, it's yeah, I definitely, definitely on the uh, corporate corporate side, there is this false, it's false, you know, the way that they sort of push this notion around. Yeah. It, it, it would produce a more interesting set of stories. Um, we've, we've heard from the white guys already, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, we've yeah. heard from, we've heard that story in some ways. Um, so I think, yeah, like this, there is a transformation happening. It's just a question of to what extent the structure is going to accommodate it. And that's what cast clearly has been largely about is like trying to push the structure itself to accommodate what is already there. Yeah. Um, and struggling, you know, yeah. like, especially after COVID, um, you know, you, you talk in, in an exclaim article about how stand-up comedians in Canada are seriously underrepresented. They face what you call a circle of entrapment. Yeah. This idea that um, not only are the opportunities limited, but Canada is the Canadian kind of comedy scene is full of like gatekeepers, more or less, where like you, you headline a club, you perform at just for laughs, and then you you say you've hit a ceiling. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like this idea that there's also a monopoly within like yuck yucks, for example, you talk, you talk in, I think in uh, one of your posts about how some comics even use pseudonyms so as not to get in trouble with bigger clubs. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about like, what is going on there? First of all, like, how does that represent the sort of creativity and hustle of Canadian comedians, but also like the unfairness of the system? Yeah. It's like. You know, I think it's just like there's a couple of players and they feel that they can have ownership over individual comedians. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, and so they, and, and they're, they, they, they're successful at it because they can say, well, you can't, you can't perform over here. And because comics are afraid and they, there's limited opportunities, they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do what you say. But, but they want to play the other spots. So then they, you know, make up a name and those are the names that appear on the boards. Like, I don't see it happening as much lately um mm-hmm. you know because yeah here anyways but i know it, it still it still happens a lot and you know i always tell comics i'm like don't listen to what they tell you like perform where you want to perform it's crazy they're not paying you a living wage like what do you what yeah. why do they think they can tell you where to go yeah it's so it's insane yeah i mean and and i like that in that same piece you talk about how like you, your name means something to you you're not going to change your name yeah. that's like it's a part of obviously a part of who you are um, to, the idea of having to like sell that off in order to just keep working. And so like that to me is why cask is so important, obviously, like, you know, I want to ask about the pay comedians hashtag campaign um, and the, and the, this tendency or like just the reality of, of having to perform just for exposure. Like that seems still to be 
um, a baseline, just sort of sort of assumption within the comedy scene. Um, and I mean, in academia, to some extent, that's the case, too. But obviously, there's like this baked in elitism to some extent and, and a recognition that's there. But like, to what extent was that pay comedians campaign that Cask uh, spearheaded about trying to just like respect the dignity of people's labor, you know? Yeah, it was like, I, I don't remember who came up with the hashtag, but we were just like, there's there's a point when you see the, all these shows being produced and, you know, let's say the comedy bar, there's a hundred seats and you hear this all the time where it's like box office could be like $1,500, $2,000 and the comic's getting paid 20 bucks. And, Which is insane. Yeah. yeah. And so it's just like, and, and I had a lot of people say to me, they're like, you know, since this hashtag and since this movement to pay comics, um, you know, at least talk about it a lot more places. And I noticed that a lot more places do pay, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's like when you see two, like certain places, like even like yuck yucks, it's like they're taking 40 and 50 and even more percent of a commission on road gigs. You know, I, you just mm-hmm. can't justify it. You, you can't justify it. And how do we find it acceptable? Mm. How do we continue to find it acceptable? And I, like given this idea, yeah, of exposure, it's like, I mean, I, I was in that mindset too, but it's a big lie. Cause what are you being exposed to? What are you exposing yourself to? Exploitation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there comes a point and I get it when you're, when you're new that you're like, yeah, I want, I want stage time. I want to go out. I want to do stuff sure. for sure. It's um, fun. Right. But, but, but at the same time, it's like, it's false. You know, because mm. it's like if someone's making money at the door, then they should distribute some of that money. Mm-hmm. And you see you see the producers who are good at it and ones who who aren't. And like there's conscientious people and non-conscientious people. Um, but I think it's because, yeah, there is no standard. There's no standards. Um, and that's what, you know, we were trying to do with the pay comedians guideline. It's like a guideline they just released like around, you know, here's some here's it's we're not telling you how to pay people because there's all sorts of scenarios, you know, and. Mm-hmm. But here's like maybe a baseline that you could follow. Like if this is, if there's these amount of seats and then there's, this, this is the ticket price. This is what we, you can expect or what you should expect or to ask for. Um, and I think that's a lot of a problem too. It's like, you know, people come at you and they're like, Hey, uh, we got this event. What do you charge? Well, I don't know. What do you, what's your budget? Could be, what if you have yeah. a $50,000 budget and I'm charging you 500 bucks? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I learned these things along the way, like even through my own agents, but um, yeah. It's, uh, mm. but it's great to see though, that more and more people are getting paid and there's that acknowledgement of it. And it's about knowledge. Like, I think that's, again, like cask is, is educating people in some ways, right. Yeah. Um, that, you know, through its own fundraising, through these campaigns, just trying to say like, what would happen if comedians were actually supported? Like, what would that actually oh produce, God. um, in terms of the art, you know, just like facilitating that. The best um, comedy ever. Yeah, you know, that's why a, not? I mean, I believe it. I, I believe that's where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, you, you talk in so these two letters, right? So it starts with this this open letter in 2016, but then you kind of come back to it. And I really wanted to ask about this Article 605 piece, um, sort of a follow-up to the Just a Little Respo- Reciprocity letter. Um, and, you know, how it it, it builds on the, the claims of that first letter and really in some ways is like a much more radical piece of writing but like the the continuum is just that like you want autonomy for canadian content producers um the american market because of its scale is kind of cannibalizing canadian comedy um but you all like one of the things you point out is that you know uh, uh this canada arts presentation fund which which funds festivals like just for laughs um 
it's it's like remarkable that you know this is maybe it, it is like the biggest i think comedy festival in the world and yet comedy itself is not recognized sort of as a legitimate art by you know Canada Council for the Arts i wanted you to kind of elaborate on that a little bit the 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 ways in which you know it connects to cask pushing for labor mobility um you know a recognition of the bigger picture you know so changing the terms is important but also changing the sort of conditions of people's like employment clearly is part of the story um do you think people are starting to get the picture basically uh it sounds like you're pretty hopeful in some ways right yeah i think i think people are starting to get the picture but it's not sort of translated into anything concrete per se it's like mm-hmm. I think, I think we're seeing like a lot of changes, but or, like they're subtle, but nothing concrete yet. I mean, you just look at the recent Just for Last lineup and it's like, it's all Americans. Mm. There's like 12 Canadian comedians on the galas and you're like, what is happening? And it just was disheartening when I saw that. I was just like, also because like, I don't really pay attention too much to them, but you know, a lot of comics are coming to me and being like, oh my God, I didn't get this. And like, you know, cause when right. the lineups are announced, you know, Just for Laughs does this big show of like all these showcases, but mm-hmm. then they fucking, you know, uh, they choose like a handful of comics, and and the and they're all hosted mostly by American comics, like the galas and the bigger shows, and 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 you and you don't see you don't see them being promoted at all, you mm-hmm. know. So it's like, why are we funding? Why are we funding a festival that's borrowing from American celebrity? It's lazy. That's a Canadian system. It's a lazy system. Yeah. It is like the easy way to go, right? Is to have Maria Bamford, Kurt Braunohler, these, you know, kind of these people who have these big, uh, you know, high profile comedy specials come in and like draw the crowds or whatever, you know, because of that established media system in the States, right? Yeah. Um, and you're limiting opportunities um, for, for people in Canada who are you know, really talented. Like Monty Scott is very funny, right? Oh like these, He's brilliant. you know, Al Val is very funny. I know Val is, is uh, co-headlining the uh, JFL Toronto yep. thing. So, you know, there are these opportunities, but they are overshadowed by, as you say, American celebrities in a lot of yeah, ways. Of and and I, I like how in the article 605 piece, you, you like, as I say, it's like a little bit more radical than that initial letter. You're, you, there's a line where you just say, Empire's a bitch, eh? You know? <laughs> um, it's so true it's yeah so true it's like our our single biggest problem is america like if in a way if, yeah yeah yeah. i mean you if talk it about was, oil you make the comparison to the yeah. yeah the fossil fuel industry which i think was like brilliant yeah oh thank you <laughs> you know like the, there's a line where you say like you know comedians will outlive the fuel-based economy let's protect <laughs> them uh what's the line that i really like where you say uh, it's it, you know they're more slick than oil uh, and less destructive for the environment you know yeah um, yeah absolutely and so you know you're talking about toxicity in the cultural sense but you're also like talking about like literal forms of toxicity you know I, I guess I wanted to end by asking I guess about your your politics to some extent the fact that you know you you clearly you you host this soft left uh, podcast um, you know I don't think it's like currently rolling but there's like 10 great episodes that people can check out on youtube where you talk with monty scott and carol zockley all these people who um aren't just funny but also like really passionate politically um you know your it feels like your vision of political and cultural transformation in some ways like this idea of local empowerment 
um, and even like your understanding of like political division and all that stuff kind of comes from maybe your education, I don't know, but you're just like faith in some ways in, in, a, in left political movements. Is that fair to say? Like, to what extent do you kind of identify, I guess, as like a socialist as well as a comedian? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I always liked communism the most in theory, mm -hmm. you know, but right. uh, yeah, because it's like it's all about the people, you know, for the people, yeah. which is what comedy is. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's definitely it's influenced um, my politics and the way that I look at the world, like fundamentally, for sure. And it's in Cask's DNA then, probably. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, thanks so much. Oh, my um, pleasure. Thank you I'll for have having me. I'll let you go, uh, but it's been really great talking to you. It's been great talking to you, too. Take care. Ciao.